Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Pod. Uh, the last time we talked to you guys, we were uh, just days away from the season, filled with hope. We had our predictions. We, they were all around, you know, like 33 to 35 right in there. We were in the 72-game season. We were like, you know, we're a 500 team. Now, all of that was dependent upon our best player, John Morant, uh, his health. And as all Grizz fans know, that did not happen. And so we are here to process all of this with you. We're here to take stock of where we are, where our team is, uh, what we'll be watching for, and how do you deal with something as catastrophic as that type of injury um, on a season? And in, in where we are. So we're going to talk all about that today. Um, before we get into it, Ty Smith is here. Let's go. Hey, Brantley. Let's go, Ty. You, you, <laughs> Ty's just cucked him. I wanted Brantley to say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> hey. Switching up the roles. <laughs> all right, guys, um, let's dive into it. We've played... We played a number of games since we uh, we last spoke. We're two and three on the season, uh, and obviously it's early. So let's start with John Morant's injury. Uh, we're playing the Brooklyn Nets. They do not have KD. They do not have Kyrie. This game is one that we went in just expecting a win, expecting the first one of the season, and. Uh, Ja goes up to block uh, TLC, as they call him, Timothy Luau Cabarro, and he comes down on. Nice, well. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, he TLC comes down on TLC's ankle. Thing. It is, it is, and uh, <laughs> it turns the wrong way. And in that moment, as Ja is hopping off the floor and eventually gets into a wheelchair and is wheeled out, what are you thinking in that moment, guys? Um, well, go ahead, Brantley. I, I, I sort of just, I just assumed that it was an ankle injury and that just is part of the game, honestly. Like I, I, there was a lot of emotional reactions that happened that caused my panic to get a little bit worse, right? On like Twitter where people were thinking that, it, you know, seeing him on a wheelchair was rough I, and maybe uh, a little bit more dramatic than I was anticipating for just an ankle injury. Um, so I guess I was, I was sort of wondering if maybe he had broken his ankle. Um, Cause it just so clearly from the, from the video shoot, you know, from everything just looked like an ankle. So I, I think I was just hoping that it wasn't broken, but I, I, I was immediately I mean, this was the injury that we knew couldn't happen if we wanted to have those results. 
that that we've been talking about. I mean, I think we we knew how much we know how much jobless our whole team. So I think just in a moment, I just knew like, oh well, now all of a sudden, this game and all future games are going to be a little bit less interesting than they could have been. What about you, Ty? Yeah, that that was my thought. So when I first saw, it's kind of like Brantley, like you know, we've all played basketball before. We've all stepped on someone's foot. It's happened to everybody. So that was my initial reaction. I was like, oh, I bet that hurt a ton. But, like, in three days, he'll probably be fine. And then someone on our Slack channel, I don't remember who it was, but I guess they have a – It was Ja, ja Mitchum, they were as like, he named himself. Yeah, they were, they were laying out some scenarios, and he was like, well, first of all, if it did this, there's a reason he was limping. He might have scared him because he heard a pop. If he heard a pop, it could have been one of these two ligaments. If it's one of these two ligaments, it could be a four- to six-month recovery versus a – three to five month recovery. Is that all in our Slack channel? And then, then it was a medical yeah, report. There it was great. Second. Shout out yeah. pro pro yeah. basketball doc, really John Mitchum. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the next day is like grade two ankle sprain, three to five weeks. Um, so I think initial reaction was, oh, that's okay. Then after that, I let it settle and I was kind of getting a little bit worried. And then the next day I was like, oh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and almost the same play happened to Grayson Allen. He was like a game time decision the night after. So clearly, I think we're taking, you know, extra precaution for sure. But yeah, it's Jaw was started out the season on fire, um, literally taking off where he or picking up where he left off in the bubble, doing whatever he needed to do, whatever he wanted to do, um, and then his. Honestly, the Grizzlies without Jaron and some of our other pieces, it was just like, hey, what can Ja do tonight? It's like that's one of the main reasons to watch us play, and now we can't do that. So now it's like how many 18-foot jumpers can Dylan take in a 10-minute So just, just to recap, so, too, on where we are right now, like John Morant obviously out three to five weeks. Justice Winslow, Jaron Jackson, they've been vague reporting on when they're coming back. I mean, it could be anywhere from a couple weeks to who knows how long. Uh, DeAnthony Melton was held out. Uh, the reason is health and safety protocols, which we know means probably COVID. And then uh, Grace Allen, like you said, twisted an ankle. Like we had nine players uh, yesterday in a win against Charlotte, and who dressed out like McDermott played. You know, like one of them was a two-way. Yeah, McDermott I mean, was a two-way. Like, Undrafted. It was yeah. not, it's not only Jaw. It's not like we're at full strength and all of a sudden we lost our potential all star. Like, this is like Jaw's having to do every single thing, which I know, Ty, you mm-hmm. mentioned you have some stats on that uh, coming up at some point about his usage. I, when I saw it, I mean, obviously I was disappointed. It did, it wasn't one of those like Gordon Hayward type injuries where his foot is like, like it wasn't no. near that. And I think the wheelchair dramatized it a bunch that was just like, Literally, they probably just had a wheelchair on hand and didn't want Jaw to have to limp. Like, that was probably it. Um, and I think, like you guys, like, it was it was one of those where I'm like, dang, like, that's going to suck. But then I also immediately in my head went to, well, that's it. Like, this season is a wrap, given our situation. Like, all of a sudden, my whole rooting interest changes in that moment. And even if it's like... Let's say it's on the early side. Let's say it's on the three-week side. I think, personally, like the Spurs loss and the Hawks loss, like if those two were wins, I feel like I would be thinking entirely different. It's just that's how short-term I feel like something like this is. It's so reactionary to where like initially in my brain I'm like, well, we're already 0-2. 
Um, it'll be a miracle if we can win this Brooklyn game, even though Brooklyn doesn't have their two best players. Um, and our best player right now is Kyle Anderson. Like that to me is like just a recipe for chalk it this season up to injury and hope for a draft pick. And that, that all came to a head, like right in that moment for me, which was weird. Um, because normally in a season like this, where we're expecting a team that is going to be competitive and is going to give people, uh, you know, a hard game night to night, no matter how good they are, you would think that that, you know, tanking wouldn't be like the very first reaction, but that's what it was for me. And I think it totally had to do with the other injuries, but overall, I think it also had to do with such our just our cold start. Like we just, it's been a weird, weird few games. The fact that we're two and three to me like doesn't make sense. It feels like zero and five. Um, but anyway, so let's talk about this whole situation. Um, we're five games in. We've got two wins under our belt. Um, if I had to ask you right now today. Like, what is your ideal, if we were to look back, or, or fast forward to the end of the season, what would an ideal, like, Grizzly season amidst this circumstance look like? Like, is it too early to start cheering so for tanking, thing, is what I'm asking. This is, let me, I, I want to say this. I don't know what the word is. I want us to be just not good enough. It's not tanking, but the rest of the season, I I want us to 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 be competitive, but know that we're we're just missing a we're just missing a couple more pieces. Now, if that were the strategy, that would change how quickly Jaron, Justice, and Giles come back. It also could influence um the direction of certain players in certain lineups. So I don't want to go too deep into that yet. Cause I think there's a lot that we could all like jump into, but that if I were at the end of the season, if I were to look back and say like, man, we were competitive, but we weren't, we just weren't there yet. That I think our record will reflect that we'll still win some, but we won't be, we'll be in that kind of bottom tier because the whole, the West is so much better than we are. And we're seeing that even with some other teams that maybe are outperforming. I think what we had originally thought that it could be beneficial for us in next year's draft. So it's not, tank. It's, I don't know. Can I, what's, what's a more positive word than, than not tanking on that? Yeah. I don't know. We should invent it. We should invent it, but that's my, that's my, that's what I hope to, to, to see at the end of the season. And I think there's a lot of fun stuff that can come from that, which is why I'm saying it. So I won't go into too much detail now, but that's what I'm hoping for. What about you, Tom? I'm thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. So we have three starters out for sure right now, right? With DeAnthony. So that's four of your top eight for sure, right? With Grayson, who with his PT recently, you could say five out of your top nine guys aren't available. You could make that argument, right? So this is my thought. And I think I heard this somewhere else too, kind of like the outlook. Maybe the Brian Windhorse podcast mentioned this. It would be really cool to just right now just be terrible. Like literally go O of our next 10, just not win a game. I mean, really be bad. But – 
like maybe in six weeks, eight weeks or so. And it's a condensed schedule. And I think that's, I think a lot of, it's going to be like even the four, five, six in the West because it's 10 less games. It wouldn't shock me if they were like right around 500. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. A, a lot of teams are getting on both starts. I don't think like a lot of teams are going to have like a 60% win percentage and stuff like that, like a lot of teams do in the past. But I think it would be really fun if when Ja, Jaron, Justice, DeAnthony, like all of our guys came together healthy, we made like a hella run to end the season, but to just miss out. Kind of like what Brantley was saying. When everyone's healthy, we just look like a really good team that, yeah, like Brantley also was saying, maybe a few, like a piece or two away. But when everyone's together and comes together, we go on like a just a tear. But like the season, we run out of time almost, if yeah. that makes sense. I just want to see when all of our guys are together, we look like a like a really good team, a complete team that like knows where we're going. And I think sense. I think the the point that whether it's in a run or not, we have to. I want to know at the end of the season that what we've got, like what do Jaron, Justice, Ja, Bain, and BC look with each other, with Melton rotating in there with Titus. Yes. What is that? Because like, I don't give a shit about Dylan or Kyle, even though he's awesome, or even JV for that matter. I want to, those young guys, the next gen, I want to know how those guys, maybe even Conchar with them, because he does sort of have this, like, he does something. I don't think he's ever a top 10 player on like a deep playoff contending team, but maybe, maybe he really is. Maybe he really could jump in. So, I think we have to sort of un- really understand some of that um, to really influence like what we do in the draft and um, and how aggressive we are in the draft. I think you just said the goal of the season. That should be. What it's our not goal is. number ten. It's not number. It's not making the playoffs. No, our goal and Jenkins kind of said that when everyone got hurt. Like, hey, what do you do now? And he's like, we compete. We play with what we have, and we see see what. Well, we you're have. grimacing. What do you think? Um, and I think. Okay, so I was actually yeah no y'all keep talking. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in in like two minutes. <laughs> I just think we like for instance last night in Charlotte, we gave Bain some like primary ball handling stuff, right? There was a point like in the third quarter where he was like our primary ball handler. He initiated offense. I think we got to do stuff like that. I think we got to see like what all he yeah. can do. To Brantley's point, like Conchar, he doesn't really do anything great, but I, he like never messes up. He doesn't do anything where you're like, that was why, what in the world were you thinking? He's just kind of like solid. Here's, here's my take after five games of watching the whole, the current roster as it stands, minus Jaron and Justice. Grayson, JV, Kyle and Dylan are in my definitely not long-term pieces of this team right now. I'll go ahead and say it. And I'm saying that because I want, and I have two others that are sort of close that I'm curious on. I'm not going to talk about them yet, but those four, I think that this front office has got to be aggressive in being part of the craziness that could happen with trades this season, because we have some contracts that could fit into some pieces that could, that could help us surround 
who we know is going to be part of our long-term future. And that's how we have to build. And I really hope. So if, if letting Dylan go five for 11 from three boosts his value for this season, maybe for a contender, because they see his contract is not too crazy and they might take him on then great. That's my take. So what, uh, so you mentioned those four players. I think a the front office has proven that they're willing to to do that. They did it last year, right? They gave up Jay, who yeah he didn't shoot the ball well. He's still really important. Solo played pretty well for us too, and got a guy who had played four games that year. But we're totally completely looking in the future on that transaction. So what are you looking to get back? for those guys if we make a trade this year? Like, what would you want to get back for, like, a Kyle Anderson or a Dylan or even a, yeah, a Gorgie? I think, like, what are your I think another young – another shot at a potential rotation player who, like, in a, a wing position or, you know, kind of a backup spot um, to help out with uh, – just just to see if they're a better fit. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think we feel pretty great right now about the point guard spot for the most part. Um, on our flexibility there between Ja, Tyus, and, um, you know, what we think that Justice can do at times and bringing the ball up some. Um, totally. We, Melton does not fit in that slot to me at all. Um, I think, I think some kind of mid-range picks where you're having more shot at um, – I, I, just, I just think more younger assets that you really think can fit. And I think that we've got some guys that can bring us back some of that return this year. I mean, if Kyle keeps at this offensive pace, he's going to get traded. There's no question. And there's no reason for us to not trade him. All right, guys. I just uh, I just workshopped something here. Um, it's called... <laughs> trade, trade machine? It's called Stairway to Tanking Heaven. Okay. <laughs> And basically, my argument in the last five minutes, I just made I made a list of 10 things or 10 reasons why this is the absolute perfect scenario for tanking. And I will go through this list right now for you guys. Number one. Number one. Stairway to tanking heaven. Number one. We have two stars. We have John Morant. We have Jaron Jackson. The worst part, um, the the bad thing about tanking for teams that aren't yet good is that they don't have hope besides the draft. And basically, they are banking on something that is completely volatile. Uh, there was There is no reason we should have gotten the second pick and gotten John Morant in that draft. We were ninth. We had the ninth best odds. Um, and the Knicks dropped to three. Like there was no, they were tanking with like absolute hope in the draft, and that is like rarely going to work out. So we already have two stars, and uh, that's a pretty good place to be. We know we we know we can be competitive. All right, number two, no fans. Has there ever been a better year to tank when you, the three of us, haven't spent two thousand dollars to split season tickets on a season that's going to suck? No fans. That's great. Number three, the 2021 draft. This draft has been talked about for years and years as like this this premium crop of young players that is five or six deep with like viable potential all stars in the mix. 
franchise changing guys yeah. that are going to immediately come and contribute. Um, and half of them are six, seven yes. wings. Um, number four, there have been a bunch of good teams that have had very bad starts, which means there are a lot of teams down at the bottom aren't going to be wanting to stay down there. They're going to be scratching and clawing to get back up. A lot like of teams that, like Denver, like yep. Denver is the number one, like when you're looking at the stand, which we're five games in again, like you're not going to have um, a lot of clarity on who's good, who's not. Um, the Warriors, for example, they're not very good, but they have so much money invested in a core that needs to win now. Um, yep. The Rockets are one and two. They're at least going to try to retain James Harden if they can. Well, who knows what's going to happen there? Even the Mavs are two and three. The Minnesota Timberwolves are two and three. They have to win. The Wiz, maybe even like the Raptors. The, yes. Yeah. Um, all these teams right now that are constructed to win now are probably panicking. All right. And along with that, the Western Conference is, despite the slow starts, is still loaded. And so that's the right, that's the right conference to be in. All right. So that's four. Number five, Desmond Bain. We now get to see Desmond Bain take a lot of minutes and develop. Like we're not yet expecting, you know, him to slot into a team that's going to be a playoff contender with that pressure. He gets these no pressure minutes to, and he's not the type of guy, he's not like Dylan. He's not going to be a guy who's just going to take every shot because he has that opportunity. He is a guy that's trying to fit in and is making the right play time and time again. And he's going to be open um, in that corner when, when Ja is uh when Ja is coming back and everything like that. So it's only gonna help him to at least try to do some um to have some development that's not only a set shot. Like he's gonna get opportunity to try to create, which is going to be good for him. Number six, Justice Winslow. We're gonna this is something to look forward to. Like we're gonna get to see how Justice Winslow fits in our system when he comes back. Number seven and seven, eight, and nine are are three players that are at the bottom of our rosters, um, but they're going to get opportunities that they wouldn't have had before, and that's Jonte Porter when he becomes healthy again, Xavier, Xavier Tillman again with health, and then John Conchar, we're already seeing him play t- over 20 minutes a game. So we're actually going to get to see what we have with those bottom-tier guys on our team, which is exciting, and they wouldn't have this opportunity otherwise. And then 10th and finally... Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson get to build their trade value in a situation that is um, absurdly um, positive because we are not now going to be as frustrated when Dylan Brooks pulls up and derails a possession, even though it is still frustrating. But it's almost this perfect storm of we get to go through a year of Kyle and Dylan um, doing their best to perform well, and we can actually cheer for it because the worst thing that that can happen is that they build their trade trade value um, by just outperforming. So those that's that's ten reasons right there. Stairway to tanking Kevin. That's why I believe we are in a great position right now, despite everything that has seemingly gone wrong for the Grizzlies. Yeah, and I think it's just it's it's like framing it up in the. There's a lot to be. There's a lot of potential to be gained. Um, I don't think that we would have, and and it's also we don't. 
it's the right mindset maybe from a fan perspective to say, okay, like, like Ja got hurt. We need to protect him a little bit. But we've just – I think one thing that we've just said a lot, because I think from a fan perspective we have to think this way, is that two to three years from now when this core is getting to where they're not the youngest in the league anymore, they've got to be ready to take that next – to take that leap. Because with the talent of John Jaron, you're not talking about being a perennial fourth seed. You're talking about trying to be the perennial two seed, I think. I think that should be our goal four to five years from now is that we're competing for the second spot in the West on a year to year basis, maybe even the number one spot. And so to do that, you gotta have, you gotta have a third piece that you know can get you buckets on the wing. And there's a lot of them in this draft. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or there's some right now in the league, which are fun to talk about. I know that was going to be my point would y'all be willing to maybe take a stab at someone? So we never really got to this this summer when we were talking about this kind of stuff, but like Zach Levine's name always comes up when we talk about stuff like that. A, because he is that 6'6 crazy athlete who can score on the wing, score on the perimeter, create his own shot, sucks at defense, but the idea is if you have Jaron and Justice next to him that can cover some stuff, probably wouldn't work out great on perimeter on defense, but like he can score. He's perimeter oriented. Um, so my question would be: Would y'all be willing to maybe give up stuff besides those contracts to take on a player like that for now? Kind of in the short term, but also with a long term play because he's still twenty four, twenty five years old. Or would y'all want to just stay again, kind of draft focused, asset focused? For now, what are y'all thoughts on that? I, I think that we have to potentially try to build. You, you can't bank solely on the draft. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, you got it. You got to be a great. I don't. I don't. I'm not saying it's Zach Levine. Like I would be super excited. I, I don't know. Yeah, about yeah, that. not him specifically, but but some of it is even about the type of fit and the type of player that you need to get. And I don't even know if we have someone on the roster that gives us a viewpoint into what that could look like um, because there's some picture painting that we need to do to demonstrate like the possibility of the canvas that could exist in Memphis five to six years from now when you're trying to get that third piece potentially or fourth piece to come in and do more than just compete for, you know, third, the three seed. I, my whole only hesitation with being all in for that approach or not all in, I think it's, it's always going to be a percentage. Like it's going to be like, are you 80% try to push in assets to get something back in a trade versus 20% draft. Whereas some people might be the other way around. Like, I don't really know what my percentage split is there right now, just because I think the, I think the, the Grizzlies have some draft assets, which are intriguing, uh, especially with the Warriors not being very good. Um, they also have, I think, only one blue chip piece that would yield a um, that would yield somebody at the caliber that we're talking about, like a Levine. And to me, that's Brandon Clark. 
Like, I don't think that – I think people in the league are on to Dylan Brooks. I don't think there's this perception of him him being the young asset in a, in a big trade just because everybody's smart enough to know his efficiency sucks. And there's jokes even being made at the national level about Dylan Brooks, like being a number one offensive option on a terrible team and how, like, they're, like, laughing at that. So it's not even that he's – being taken necessarily seriously Kyle is interesting but to me he's like Dylan and Dylan and Kyle are similar to what Jay Crowder was in the Mike Conley trade to Utah to me like they're veterans that you can just plug and play right now but they might not be part of your long-term future so it's like Mm -hmm. BC is that player who you're betting on to to be that 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 chip and I don't know yet if I am ready to to go to that place, just of being like Brandon Clark is on the table. But I do think that it obviously depends on who's on the other side, um, because I think there's a there's a point in which that doesn't it makes sense. It doesn't make sense not to throw him into a trade. So yeah, and I think that's why I'm. I don't. I don't think I'm. I don't think we have anything really right now to go out and get a perennial player like that. I don't know. We don't have yeah. enough. I don't even think BC and a couple picks would do it, um, personally. Um, I don't think the, I think the Bulls could get more for that. Um, I think there's some other teams that would get a lot more aggressive if, if they put him on the market. I do think that for like someone like Kyle and Dylan, we could get a decent shot at a young rotation player who maybe just hadn't gotten minutes yet or something some on some team that I'm not really thinking about and I haven't gone and, and looked at to target. But you know. There's 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 chances there, um, you know. I have one. Maybe it's someone like the Wizards or somebody who like needs some additional pieces and scoring, and they would give up. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying they'd give up Rui, but maybe they give up some other young player like that. That's the kind of example that I'm sort of thinking of. <clears throat> yeah, I I think to me like a like uh Dylan and Kyle trade would yield somebody at the skill level of like K- Kelly Oubre, honestly. Like that to me is like he's a a wing who's not he's not playing well right now, but like the perception of Kelly Oubre is like he's this slashing wing who can shoot and yeah. is uh, young enough, you know, to where those guys would make sense. And uh, they're at about the same level to me. So like that's what I and throw in some draft capital, and then you start to talk about like a lower level lottery type, which is Rui Hachimura. You know, that's a great that's a good example of like a young guy. Yeah. So yeah, that's my thought. Like, look at Sabonis right now with Indiana. He's tearing it up. Point to that is OKC just like threw him in into that trade to send him to Indiana. Same thing with Oladipo and Orlando, right? It was a really bad fit in Orlando. He didn't start out well. Really, really high pick, and they just kind of threw him in that OKC trade, and then OKC did the same thing, throwing him into Indiana. And both of those guys have kind of blossomed. So my view of it is like what kind of top 10 pick that's two or three years in the league and just really hasn't done anything and teams are just kind of quickly getting out on him. So one name, again, I don't think we should do this, but like a Laurie Markkinen is someone that I would, that type player who I'd be interested in. I think he was like top eight pick in his draft three or four years ago. And just people are kind of like, I don't know what he is. I don't know what he can do, what he can't do kind of stuff. Maybe he's in a bad system. But seeing like if they're trying to get off of a player like that, but I don't know what they would. 
And my other point I wanted to make is, Will, when you were talking about kind of the tank tank way to heaven or whatever you said. That's it. Yep. The two – the hardest thing to find in the NBA are stars. You can't find stars. Like they're just really, really hard to come by. We have two of them, ideally, in John Jaron at 21 years of age. We have the cornerstones needed – to propel us to like contention, like real contention, like Brantley was talking about. We already have those pieces. So to me, it's all about, and we've talked about this so many times, building around those two things. Everyone else, everything else is kind of expendable to this point to me, as long as we have those two guys as our main focus moving forward. And like I said, they're 21. There's no need. Yeah. And we, just kind of mention this to me, there's no need to try to rush or do anything for the now. Cause we have draft capital coming forward. This draft is going to be big next year. We may have two, two picks, ours and Utah. We have the golden state pick coming up in the next few years. I think we can kind of build through the draft and kind of resemble that OKC early years with Russ Harden and Durant. Because we're and Ibaka, you can kind of picture him in BC, Ibaka and BC kind of being in that same position. But we have like the Russ and, and KD to an extent, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, how do we build off that? And they built that through the draft, too. And I think we can do that, too. That's a really uh, interesting comp. Yeah. Brantley, what were you going to say? No, no, no. Keep going. Uh, yeah, uh, I was just kind of affirming. Yeah, no, I think that's great, Ty. I I think that's really interesting. And I also think that, you know, eventually I would say the goal is building to a situation where you have performed well enough in drafts and in free agency, even if it's lower level free agency, to have a package that is appealing when you're trying, when you're like, all right, now it's time. But I still think that's like two years away. So yeah, because like the third piece, if we don't get the third piece in the next two or three drafts, then we can kind of look into like, okay, let's go get that third piece. What do we have to go get that guy? Right. Right. Just because from a money perspective, like the draft is the best place. If you're looking at dollars and cents in terms of value, like our guys are going to be coming up here in 2023, 2022, maybe for even Jaron, I guess that's still 23, maybe depending on how we work the options. But like, that's going to come quickly. And all of a sudden we're going to be in a situation where we're going to have to get really creative um, or Robert Para is going to have to pony up some dollars, which on right, a, a Brian Windhorse podcast for Grizzlies fans, I would highly recommend you go back and listen. It's from a few days ago. Um, he and a few other guys on the podcast were talking about how Robert Para has actually had the, besides like your Steve Ballmer and your Joe Sy, like Para is right up there in terms of net worth, which is just so interesting. You never think about Robert Parra when it comes to the Grizzlies just because he is so distant, um, which might not be the worst thing. Uh, there could be worse types of ownership situations, to be honest. But his like the company that he founded and has like 75% shares in is uh, has just jumped exponentially in the last year. And so his worth is like in the 17 or maybe like the 15 billion range right now, which is just absolutely absurd. But that's great for the small market Grizzlies because as a franchise in small market cities, usually you don't see a lot of luxury tax being paid. 
by virtue of the fact that you know there isn't there isn't this um there isn't this return this this guaranteed revenue stream that you're going to get in an LA or a New York where you kind of have to pinch your pennies a little bit but like who knows like that day could come where Jaron and Ja are maxed out and there's a player that we want and pairs like let's go like let me reach into the bag so we'll see <laughs> Well, like one of the reasons like we're even talking about this is because we do have, you know, a couple of players that I think we look at and say like objectively they could help some teams. And one of those, I would not have said this last year at all. I was probably one of his biggest critics on this podcast is Kyle Anderson. He's a guy who's on the books this year for us around nine and a half million and like a little over that um, next year um, on his contract. We signed him, I, th- I think, to the mid-level, you know, kind of in the last um, year of the, the Wallace regime. regime. Um, his, if you if you paid attention to the Grizzlies early on, his uh, impact on our games, uh, he's, had, he's had a massive scoring impact on, on winning, you know, this year. And so I guess my, my question is, guys, you know, what have y'all seen in Kyle thus far and are we right to think of him as being a, a potential asset that could move off our books? Or am I right in even kind of making that bold um, statement that that he's someone that a, a team who's competing might look at and say, we'd love to bring this guy off the bench as a sixth or seventh man um, who can you know spot up and hit some threes and make some smart plays for us? Ty, go for it. So I think his shot changed everything. The fact that he's taking and making threes has changed his outlook completely. Not only for us, but like you were talking about, Brantley, other suitors, right? If you are wide open in the corner and you are unwilling and just cannot hit that shot, you are a liability on offense at that point to me. If mm. you're not someone who can just get in the paint and live there at will like Ja can. that Kyle Anderson can't do that. Kyle Anderson – he has to be a threat to shoot has to on offense to me. Um, He's really good with the slow-mo Euro and stuff like that, but that's almost like when things are open, right? When things, the court's not open for him, he struggles, but if he can knock down that shot, that opens so much more up. So I think that's, what's been different for him this year. And he looks really confident taking it. He's always been able to handle the ball well, but yeah, that the three point shot has changed everything for him. He's always been a good defender, playmaker, facilitator. And, yeah, I think for us, like, he's that's why he was working well with Ja, right? He was able to hit that open corner three. He was able to do it. And I think if your other teams looking at him, he would fit with 29 other teams in the league as a seventh, eighth man coming off the bench. You can't tell me that he can't play with every style that you want to be able to play in the NBA. So I think that's what makes him really, I don't know, attractive. So yeah, for other teams. Ty, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is to me, in a weird way, despite the age, Kyle has become a better asset than Dylan. What is he? Is he twenty eight? He is. I think late twenties, maybe even. I don't know if he's turned thirty. I think he might be. I don't um, think he's thirty yet. Let me check it. Um, but what she's 27, dang, turns, turns 28 next September, man. Okay. Well, Dylan is 24. So there's still like, 
uh, there's still a gap there where if you're looking at it on paper, Dylan Brooks to be, uh, you could make an argument that he is a more intriguing asset just from age alone and production. But to me, like Kyle Anderson is the is the piece, and in terms of value, greater than Dylan in my in my eyes because of what you just said, Ty. Like he's literally going to be able to fit anywhere. His switchability on defense now that he has a potential three point shot. Uh, conspiracy theories about that shoulder. Uh, what he's gotten done to that because it's changed everything and whether he was just hurt the whole time the past two years is interesting but he his shot his his ball handling he fits anywhere and Dylan Brooks to me reminds me like of a, a Jordan Clarkson for example where he is he is a guy who can fit in to a limited number of situations like you need you his his role is to come off the bench and for you to expect nothing except a microwave scorer who, which he has not even gotten to a percentage clip to me where that's even a consideration for teams that are legitimately trying to win, to want to uh, acquire. So, Jordan yeah. Clarkson got paid this offseason. Yeah, and, like and Jordan Clarkson is, to me, like Dylan Brooks' uh, ceiling. Like, that's what yeah. it is. Except look at the contracts of those two players. Like, yeah. I think Clarkson got like 18 million a year or something like that this offseason. Dylan will be making like 11 and a half at the most. And it's a short-term deal. Like his extension kicked in. You have him under contract for the next three years. Kyle has one more after this one, correct? Yeah. So this like year they're, they're easy, easy contracts to move. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the deadline, I think it'll be really interesting. I think this, like we talked about earlier, the shortened schedule – I think a lot of teams will be jumbled together. And I think there's a lot of teams that are thinking like we may need some pieces around the margin. Where can we improve a little bit? How can we get over the hump a little bit? I could see teams kind of being like, this could be a little window. And just mm-hmm. to, just to clarify something I said a couple a minute ago, like Dylan Brooks, I think has, you could argue he has some defensive potential above Jordan Clarkson. The reason why I don't think that, like, that yeah, that, dude, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, to me, fouling is a very important part of defense because if you're not going to be on the floor, then totally. like it doesn't make a difference. Plus, to me, that doesn't that doesn't equal like you can't so tell me that you're an elite defender if you're going to be so haphazard all the time. Yeah. So anyway, so here's the Kyle. I mean, we're talking about this like just the numbers, and some of this I'm sure will regress, right? Because his numbers will come back down to earth a little bit, potentially not playing you know, the next couple of games are around jaw. Um, but, you know, last year uh, on a per 36 basis, he, he averaged just basically one attempt at a, at a three um, per game, or I'm sorry, up until last season, it was um, one. And then last season he was two thus far. He's been attempting six per yeah. game, um, you know, with a, with a significant percentage of that, actually it's his best three point percentage. Um of his career right now at 33%. So all those things, I, I think that those are some interesting, just, you know, kind of paper exercise details to back some of this stuff up. I mean, you're seeing it um, as you're watching him. He had a, he had, you know, he had a big game against Brooklyn. He went um, 0 for 4 um, after that against the Celtics. Everybody, I felt like, went 0 for 4 against the Celtics, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> except for Jalen Brown. So Lord. I, I am really looking for the Grizz front office to be aggressive with him, to sell high on him and to see what we can get back. Because I think that we should, because I really think that he's 
it's not it's not faking it. I legitimately think he could help someone. Dylan, I do too. I want to fake it. I don't think he can help many people. And I, but I want to, I want to make it look like he can. And I don't know if that's even a possibility based on the way that he's been look. He's gotten more aggressive the past couple of games without Ja, And I think it's going to hurt his value. Hey, two things. When I was Googling Kyle Anderson's age, <laughs> you know, the section in Google where it says people also ask after you Google something, huh? <laughs> the first two things on Kyle Anderson, the first one is what happened to Kyle Anderson. <laughs> the second one is, is Kyle Anderson good? <laughs> I think that's yes. just perfect. That's just perfect. <laughs> and then on your Dylan point, like I totally agree. If anything, I think we should get creative. And I think the Grizzden pod and its audience should start a Twitter campaign where it's only, we have like a sentence that we'll have to come up with. We'll craft a sentence that you can, it's like a tweet link thing and we'll just tweet it, you know, like a few times a game just to get the algorithm going. And when we get Dylan Brooks trending, it'll be people will click on it and then it'll be all positive and it'll just be the same. Like Dylan Brooks is good. Like if any, that could be it. Like Dylan Brooks is good, period. He's good. And and we all know, we all know what's going on, but the algorithm doesn't. So it's almost as if we can trick the NBA at large. Like I'm in for that. Yeah, yeah. I would love to trick some NBA GMs with our fake Twitter campaign. This sounds awesome. Even Dylan Brooks is good exclamation point. Presidents get elected that way, so it can happen. True, true. Let's get Russia involved. That'd be great. Okay, cool. Um, I've got some sources over there. We'll workshop that, though. We'll share the official uh, (laughs) Dylan Brooks is our favorite tweet, you know, one of those. So, uh, yeah. All right, so go ahead. Can we move into Dylan and talk about him for a second? Yeah, how's our time? Just quickly. We, I think we got 20 minutes left or 15 oh, minutes. 15 minutes. All so, right, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. So Dylan, he's like, we were talking about this on our thread watching, I think it was the Brooklyn game where I just was like, I, I think I went on a little tweet rampage and I was, or not tweet, a text rampage. Sorry. And I'm just so over, he is good. Dylan is good. <laughs> And I'm so over him, even though he is so good. Brantley is seeing red. Like his, it's it's crazy, guys. If you could see these texts, like I feel like that's the only thing at this point that Brantley you can see. It's 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 gotten to it's gotten to a dangerous place. Like his passing is fake passing. It's (laughs) BS. He's like throwing passes to JV at his ankles in the lane. Like that you like that your kindergartner kid would be able to, to to pass better than him. He like he has no emotional intelligence on the court. He takes threes whenever. And I, what I what I mean by that is that he'll take threes. I mean we all know this. Like at a moment when we we don't need him to take a three or we don't need him to take some off balance forced t- Tony Allen type layup attempt that still is terrible. He gets talked about as like how he's so off balance and shoots off the wrong foot. I'm like, yeah, that's not good. I don't like that. I just, I, I'm, I'm so tired of watching him <laughs> on our team. I, I am. Dude. I really, I really wish we hadn't signed him to that $11 million contract. I, I, I wish that I had been more aggressive about hating it when we did it so that I could like say, I told you guys so, 
I am so emotionally over him and seeing him wear a Grizz jersey that, like, he needs to go to the Hawks or something because he'd be a great fit there, and I could hate him there. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. And he was actively trying to lose the Brooklyn game. Like, that's that's the, the part that's just crazy is, like, we won despite him, and yet he was, you know, he's scoring 25 points a game, and I don't know. That is That and, is interesting. Like... I don't know. Like I'm, I'm definitely. I feel like Brantley. If you're a ten, I'm like a, I'm like an eight right now. To where I keep trying to talk myself into when he's playing well, and yet, like every three plays, there's going to be something ridiculous that happens with him, and it's really going to be, I think, impossible to defend him after he's going to have another season this year, like his first season in the league where he was playing in a system that is completely wrong. Like the reason why I had hope for Dylan watching our very first game, despite justice and Jaron being out is that I felt like he was actually playing within himself in the flow of the offense. He almost, he had a hint of discipline, dare I say, and it's all going to crap. Like that is not going to happen this year. There's no reason for him not to take 30 shots a game on this team, which is actually horrible. And at the same time, what's the alternative? And it's like, I, we were, we talked about this a little bit and I've thought a lot about it. Like, I think I can't remember. Will you might've compared him to like Rudy. And it's like the hate that I've developed for him is sort of Rudy like, but it's such a disservice to Rudy to compare Dylan to Rudy. Like Rudy was just this like unbelievably athletic specimen who just needed to make some small tweaks. And I sort of think that it was a coaching organizational issue that he fell into. And he's turned out to be a whole lot better with the Spurs and been a great fit there. Dylan is not going to be good anywhere else. No, he will be really good somewhere. He'll be great. But he he will not be good (laughs) anywhere. You will see him get traded and that team will, see the same thing i i just i don't i don't see it and do you, I, it, it it's time it, this think, is the year to move on but do you think so it was if you listen to our podcast from the bubble we i mean there was one episode where i think we just all had to just vent and that's where it turned to me from like we are annoyed to rage and i think that one of the things that we kept talking about was we were blaming taylor jenkins for a lack of a, a rope there like, do you think that Dylan Brooks legitimately – we talked about him being like a sixth or seventh man and that's his right role. Like, are you at a point now where you even think that's still a plausible um, result for a Grizzlies? Like Dylan Brooks on the Memphis no, Grizzlies. Not on the Grizzlies. He could never be a sixth or seventh man on the Grizzlies. I think he could be in another organization where he gets reset. But it's it's too hard, I think, to completely reframe that for him. I completely agree. Like I, I don't think that he is I don't I think that there is like a team like the Raptors, like a Brad Stevens Celtics team where with the right coaching, he could be a productive seventh man where he will get yanked yeah. if he doesn't play in the system. But on the Grizzlies, yeah. I agree. There's something about the team that drafted you and where you developed your bad habits that it's almost like an environmental impossibility like it feels like yeah. for him so man and his numbers are bad by the way 
they're not better. He's not. He hasn't had a good start. He's continuing the terrible the the terrible post sign that we saw and the bubble performance into these first five games. So it's like I don't even know how we make how we force the numbers to look good so that someone would take him on. I mean, we make we we could get into a scenario where he's uh, eleven million dollars on our books that we can't get off of, like a negative value contract. Yeah. 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 It's 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 tough. It's tough. Um for sure. Well, let's let's finish up right now with our what's ahead in terms of the schedule. Um we had we had earmarked this particular day to record because, you know, we we would have five games under our belt. Uh we would then be moving into a part of the schedule which is um two Lakers games back-to-back in Memphis. One is uh, tomorrow. If you're listening to this on January 3rd, it's tonight at 5 p.m. And then we have another one um, on Tuesday the 5th, a couple days later, at 7 p.m. So we have two Lakers games, and then we have uh, Cavaliers, Nets, and then another Cavaliers game. So it's going to be interesting, I think, to watch this team against the Lakers, number one, because I think... Los Angeles could look at this and say, this is a, like, we might only need 30 minutes of AD and LeBron <laughs> in both of these games. <laughs> and so, like, combined, like that's what I mean, like 15 and 15. Like, I think it could be at that level. Yeah. I also, it's going to be a Horton Tucker show. Also, I do think that teams. if they decide to actually put those 30 minutes in, a in one game, then and sit both of them in, in another game. You could see another Brooklyn situation where it's an actual competitive game, and we may, you know, we may pull it out, we may not, but we'll see. Yeah, it's a bummer because, like, we all love the Grizz so much. Like, we want to when we watch them, we want to uh, win. I know, like, we want to do well, but not only that, like, I want. Like, I want to watch Ja. I want to watch Jaron. I've been waiting on Justice. Like, I remember when we did a pre-bubble pod, we talked about what we're looking forward to the most. That was my by far my number one thing is watching Justice play. And apparently in the bubble, like, practicing or training or whatever we were doing leading up to it, he looked amazing. Like, coaching, coaching staffs apparently were like, this guy is showing out. I mean, they could have just been blowing smoke. Who knows? But it's just – it's such a tough thing right now because I – like honestly, I want us to kind of lose, but it's just so tough to watch when we're when we look like the way we look. Like that Boston game is miserable, brutal. It was brutal. And like as much as I enjoy Kyle Anderson, like yeah, I know. <laughs> it's really hard to say team man for and just from like a that, like a content for us perspective, it's hard. It's a lot more fun to get together and to talk about the season when you're playing for something yeah. and you're night to night, every game matters. And so like, yeah, I don't even know, you know, we're definitely going to try to keep a consistent schedule with even the podcast. Um, but there also might be times when it's, there's, there's not much to talk about except what we've just like been talking about this whole time. It would almost be like you just press repeat on the previous one. So, you know, selfishly, I hope that there are things to talk about, and it could be 
since this is a podcast for Grizzlies nerds and casual fans alike, but a lot of nerdy stuff too. Like we could do a deep dive on John Conchar, Jonte Porter, and Desmond Bain, and that could be a podcast. Um, so we'll see. Um, but anyway, uh, guys, what a weird start to the season. What an unexpected start to the season. But um, at the end of it all, we are in the stairway to tanking heaven. And that's all I can say. There's some highlights. I think highlight number one, we, yeah, we can kind of round it out here. Ja looked like he was on For an sure. all-star trajectory. Might have not made it because we've talked about how stacked the West is. Devin Booker is definitely going to make the all-star game this year. That's a guard spot. It would go to, but he, he was tearing it up. Um, and I think that's honestly like all I wanted to see to start the season. Like, where's Ja right now? Where is he? What does he look like? And he surpassed all expectations. He looked amazing. And I think we can, like you were saying, we can kind of be watching other, like we can watch how Desmond Bain, dude, he's, he's a sniper, man. That dude can shoot. And I love watching him like initiate offense. Like, and yeah, like we kind of nerd out. Like, what what will Conch, what can Conchar contribute? Like, what can he do well? Um, can Tyus and BC get like their tandem back together? Can BC look like old BC? First few games of the year, he was struggling. Um, looked a lot better in the last two games. His shot, like, what's going on there? And then I, th- I really, yeah, I'm just curious about the whole NBA landscape and where the Grizzlies fall, and. Trade season will be here before you know it, honestly, um, what that will look like. And, yeah, I just think curious to see kind of how things take form into the secondary players. And I just – I think we're building to Ja, Jaron, and Justice coming back and seeing what that team – that team looks like moving and forward. And most, impor- most importantly, Can't wait. we can watch Dylan Brooks be great. If Brantley- That's right, baby. If Bradley wasn't have technical we didn't got, have technical difficulties right now, uh, he'd be chiming in. But I want you to turn to Landry Shamit. Just step inside. The well, three. thank you for joining us. This has been another edition of the Grizzden Pod, albeit a sort of sad one. But we hope we um, maybe framed up what you can expect to watch for in the remaining uh, balance of the season. So we'll see. We got a couple fun Lakers games. Um, here on tap. New Year, New Grizz. Oh, yeah. There we go. So there you go. Another thing to watch for. But thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, we will talk to you next time. Go, Grizz. <laughs>